So welcome everybody. Today we are talking about the hands of a leader, and this is the second part. I want to first begin with a scripture with the memory verse, which is something that I always do. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is something that I've repeatedly said, but it hasn't been a memory, memory verse until now. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So we went from the work of a carpenter, right? We learned uh, from the good carpenter to the good leader. We actually learned what that looks like. And now we're going to be discussing the way of a carpenter but because there's a progression. There's a progression in carpentry. There's a progression in your job or in your workplace. There's a progression in your life, in your spiritual maturity. You just don't go from being uh, a born-again Christian one day, and then the next day you're some uh, high-performing theologian. It doesn't work like that. There's a process. There's steps that need to be taken. And the danger becomes when we skip steps. So... The question is, how do we know how to develop people into being high performers, right? So what we need to do is we need to trace how Jesus actually transformed his disciples. Because when he met his disciples, they were, they were untrained novices. They were untrained novices. And the goal of Jesus was now to train them into master teachers and then eventually they will become apostles to the kingdom. So what we will consider here uh, in today's lecture is the developmental process that Jesus experiences as a carpenter from his earthly father. But in order for us to do that, we need to focus on a specific individual of the Bible, that had many interactions with Jesus. And we're going to focus on Peter, specifically Peter here today. So Jesus guided his disciples from this, from the call, which meant to follow me, right? That was the call that Jesus gave his disciples to now going into the commission, which the commission is go and make disciples. So we see we have the call to commission. We have the follow me to the go and make disciples. And we're going to learn what that actually means. Through the interactions with Jesus and Peter is going to be our case study here today. So some things to consider first. Uh, Peter's name is actually mentioned when you look at it in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. So that's an, that's an important factor, because if two-thirds of the New Testament is written by Paul, right? And even Paul and Peter, they had, their, uh, they had their little spats, right? They had their disagreements. Yet Peter's name is mentioned more uh, in the Gospels. Um, there's no other disciple than Peter that is rebuked as much as him. And there's no other disciple that rebukes Jesus except Peter. You see that in Matthew 16, 22. But also, here's the, here, here's the thing. There's no other disciple that confessed Christ as boldly as him. Right? There's no one that praised Christ as much as Peter. But yet, he was the only disciple to be addressed as Satan. So you see, <laughs> I'm just trying to give you guys an overall picture of Peter as we focus on the way of the carpenter. So in the beginning, we see Peter tell Jesus in Luke 5, 8, go away from me, I am a sinful man. Go away from me, I am a sinful man. So. During Peter's apprenticeship, this is when Peter actually challenged Jesus and was told, get behind me, Satan, right, we, that we talked about. Yet, Peter was still part of this inner circle. 
Notice Jesus had Peter, James, and John. They were part of the inner circle. Then there were the twelve. Then there were others. And he was the only one to hear the audible voice of God. So this is also the same leader <laughs> who refused to acknowledge Jesus in the midst of the crowds. Right? Remember in Matthew 26, he's there and he's huddled with the crowds. And he says to the crowd, when, when they were uh, just begging and telling him, hey, uh, this is the man that was with Jesus. And what did he say? He said, I don't know that man. This is, the, this is, this is your leader. <laughs> this is the first, first century leaders that we have here. Later on, Peter would actually write these words, and I want to read this to you. So now, now that I give you all the context of where Peter's come from, what he's done, uh, the you know, First Peter one three. First Peter one three says this: "Blessed be the God." Now this is Peter. After all this, Peter, he wasn't just a novice anymore; he became a master teacher. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Because Jesus was merciful to Peter many times. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Peter was like us. Peter was full of fear. But guess what? Peter was also full of pride. His pride was put on display, but at the same time, there was a transformational journey that Peter was actually going through. And even though he was going through fear and pride, Peter was still able to grow under the tutelage of Jesus in courage and in faith. So, this is what Jesus did. And I said this before, Jesus moved Peter from call to commission. So here's what I want you guys to get out, get out of tonight's teaching. Some of us, we are still stuck in the call. And we haven't moved because of fear or pride into the realm of commission. Some of us, we think we have a specific calling, but it's the wrong calling. Why is it the wrong calling, Pastor? Because we're basing our callings on our giftings. You'd never base your callings on your giftings. I'm going to repeat that again. Because when you allow your gifting to be the sole reason and the sole purpose of why you do everything, what happens when that gifting fails? What happens when you can't function properly in that gift? But instead, your calling should be based on the gift giver, the one that gives you the gift in the first place. So here's the thing I want you to understand. Some of us here tonight, you're, you believe that you have a calling by the end of tonight, that's going to change. That's going to change. It has to change. Because some of us, we're in callings that we have no business being called to in the first place. And some of us, we're still stuck in that transitional period. Some of us, we're still in the middle between call and commission. So, I just want to give you that. I want, I, I want this lecture today to be one that really tugs at your heart. So when Jesus first calls the disciples, each one of the disciples brings this fresh perspective. They bring this fresh revelation. Each has their own gifts. But do you think Jesus comes and says, wow, well, you got this gift of here, and you got this gift of this, and you got this gift of this. So I'm going to launch you into a specific healing ministry because you think, because you operated in the gift of healing one time, now you all of a sudden had a full-blown healing ministry. Sorry, wrong. Doesn't work like that. <laughs> what we need to understand is Jesus here 
is telling his disciples, listen, you got a unique perspective. You got life experience. Peter, you're a fisherman, right? The sons of Zebedee, you guys got life experiences and you got skills in the group. But guess what? You're all going to follow the same commission that I'm going to give you. But now, what do they have to do now? Jesus had to change their perspective because he had to tell them, now you, you, be, you were fishing in the general sense. Now I'm going to make you fishers of men with no practical knowledge of how to actually do it. Because they didn't know up to that time how to fish for people. They knew how to fish to fish. But Jesus here says, I'm going to spend three years of my life with you. Now, here's the thing. I want to blow some, some of your mind. Three years. Some of us, we can't even last three minutes, three months trying to understand. Like, we want to jump the gun so fast in our calling and in the practical elements of our calling, it takes time to digest your call. It takes time to digest your call. You know, you just don't wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, there has to be a passion that's on display. There has to be a tugging at the heart, but there has to be a call to it. So they spent three years in this call phase. Three years in the call phase. So I just want to put that into your perspective because sometimes you we ask this question, where is God in the midst of my calling? Where is God? I don't see him. I'm not functioning in my purpose. And I want to remind you that the disciples spent three years, even before they were commissioned. Three years. And just as Jesus spent these years with them, Jesus developed their craft as a carpenter. Carpentry now becomes the model for the disciples in guiding them to move them forward in four stages. And we're going to go through these four, what's called the four stages of learning. We're going to be going from novice, which is someone that's just starting out to apprentice. Apprentice is someone in training. We're going to go to journeyman. The journeyman is someone that is capable of working independently. And then we're going to go to the master teacher, which someone highly skilled and able to teach others. So there's going to be some revelation for, for you all here today, because here's the reality. Some of us, we think we're master teachers <laughs> in our craft when the reality is we haven't even bypassed the novice stage. Some of us, we think we're journeymen, where we're able to now function independently. We think we've learned enough skills in order to do the task, but we're going to see that we fall short and we still need mentorship. So get ready, because I believe after we go through each of these ways of the carpenter we're going to learn ourselves even better here tonight. And what I want you to do is while you're writing and while you're taking notes, I want you to ask this pivotal question. You have to ask this question and this reflective question as we go through these uh, stages of life as the carpenter to say, do I fit into this particular office? Do I do I fit into um, this stage of life, right? So let's first talk about the needs of a novice. The needs of a novice. So these are those who are just starting out, right? These are people, they just, they just came, they're fresh, they're learning, uh, starting out to perform a particular task, uh, to work towards an assigned goal, right? They're just starting out. They're they're the new people on your dream team, right? They're 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 the new kids on the block, so to say. But the leader, I want you to write this down. The leader at this stage provides instruction. You, the leader, here tonight, you provide instruction. What is instruction? 
it is the basic information that you're providing them. So you're giving the novices the what, the how, the where, the when, and the why of the task that you have given them. See, here's, here's where leaders fail. Leaders don't provide enough basic information to the people so that they can function correctly. You give them the what, the how, and the where, but you forget the when and the why. Or you give them the where, the when, and the why, and you forget the what and the how. <laughs> you got to provide them with basic information. They need this information to get started. And the leader must be able to welcome them in the learning process. You can turn to this uh, scripture if you want, but I'll, I'll read it for you. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 to 20. Or you could just write it down for later. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20 says this. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, circle that word, highlight that word. It's a key word there. Uh, the, the gospel of Mark uh, is referred to the gospel of, of, of the immediate because he uses that word in that Greek rendering so many times. It's this immediacy. He, they immediately, they left their nets and they follow him. They didn't hesitate. They didn't hesitate. They recognized already. Now, here's the thing. They didn't recognize that they were master teachers at that moment. No. They didn't recognize that they were uh, apprentices at that moment. No. What did Jesus just, just say to them? Follow me. That's it. Just follow me. So it's in the immediate stage that we have to get people towards. And how do we do that? What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't do, do anything at that moment. All he said was, follow me. But what was it? It was the character of Jesus. It was who Jesus was. They heard about him. It was the legacy that he carried. They recognized that this was the son of God, even though it doesn't say it in scripture. And later on, we'll see Peter actually is the one that actually reveals that. But I believe even in his heart, Peter knew something about this man. That should cause you, each and every one of you, when people see you, they should immediately follow your vision because of just everything about you that just drips with vision, a compelling vision. Remember we talked about the compelling vision, the persuasion aspect of it, where I'm persuading you because you're like, wow, you know what, Pastor Eddie, he has something and I, and I want that. You know, Harvey has something uh, about him when he speaks and I want that authenticity. Uh, uh, you know, um, Ayush is just a, a leader uh, in his in his own right, but yet he had, brings such an enthusiastic spirit. I wish I had that. I want to follow him. So what is it about you that people can immediately drop what they're doing and follow you? So Jesus saw them hard at work. And immediately they, he spotted them. And how did Jesus spot them? We talked about it before. Jesus spotted them as raw material. Raw material to become future leaders in his ministry. So Peter had no idea what to do after he dropped his nets. He had, he had no idea. He just dropped his nets and he needed uh, someone to take him under his wing. So he needed to learn now this new role and this task from Jesus. So the very first time that Jesus actually sends out his disciples, and we're going to read this. You can start turning to it now, Matthew chapter 10. The very first time that Jesus sends out the disciples to preach the good news, he gives them basic instructions. Guys, we're still in the basic instruction phase. We're still in the novice phase. 
And he, Jesus gives them basic instructions before they go. So let me read it to you. I'm going to read Matthew 10. This is going to be a few verses here, so bear with me. But uh, we love reading scripture here at V1. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 to 13, and then I'm going to read verse 16. So it says, Matthew 10, 5 to 13 says, These 12 Jesus sent out what? Instructing them. There's the basic instruction. He sent them out instructing them. Go not nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying. So let me just stop right there because I want to give you some revelation. Why did Jesus even say don't go among the Gentiles at this time? Because it wasn't their time yet. The apostle Paul did not come on the scene yet. Peter was to be the ambassador to the Jews. Paul was to be the ambassador to the Gentiles. So here's the thing. We are trying, some of us, we get into this mode as leaders in this mindset where we want to go out of the realm of our influence when we have no business being there. No, I'm speaking to some people here tonight. And here, this is Jesus saying, hey, don't enter that town. Don't go into that place. Oh, but Jesus, I have the skills. Oh, I have the ability. Have you heard me preach Jesus? Don't you know I'm so eloquent and I'm funny and I go there and I make people laugh and I do a little show for them and, and they love it and, and they give me their tithes and blah, blah, blah. No, you don't go. You shouldn't be in places that you have no business being in when Jesus says don't go. So, this is a phrase we always use all the time, right? Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. And that's what Jesus is telling because Paul will be the one to go out to the Gentiles. So anyway, that's a little commentary right there. But it says, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, verse 7, and proclaim as you go. I love that verse. Proclaim as you go. See, here's the there's going to be detours in life, guys. There's going to be detours in life where you're going to have to stop and you're going to have to minister to people that maybe uh, it's hard for you to minister to. You're going to have to come out of your spiritual shell at some point. But proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Here's, here's the instructions. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay, acquire no gold, more instructions. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two, or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Verse 11, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, stay there until you depart. Verse 12, as you enter the house, greet it. I mean, for Jesus to tell people to go into the house and to greet, wouldn't now culturally, that would be like a no-brainer, right? If I'm going to your house, I'm going to greet you. I'm not just going to walk in and go in your fridge. <laughs> I'm not going to just go in and go in your fridge and, 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 and drink your juice or whatever you got in there. Why did Jesus have to tell them this? Because there were novices. They were novices, even some of the basic elements of our Christian faith. We have to recognize we're still novices in. I'm still a novice in hospitality. I'm still a novice in the prophetic. I'm still a novice in prayer. I'm still a novice reading my word, and that's okay. But don't let your pride stop you from receiving proper instruction. So as you enter the house, greet it. Simple. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Verse 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Some of us, we spend more time being serpents than doves. 
Some of us, we spend more time being doves than serpents. It works both ways, right? But now listen, this is, a novice is hearing this. I'm sending you, you're going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves. Yeah, that doesn't sound enticing, Jesus. That doesn't make me want, that doesn't make me want to leap and say, oh man, I love this. I'm so glad that I signed up for this Jesus. Thank you. No, but Jesus had to tell him this. So this is the first stage. This is the need of the novice. The novice is one who receives the basic instructions from the leader. Okay, the second one is the needs of an apprentice. So an apprentice at this stage has not really mastered all the information. They received it, but they haven't really mastered all the information and the skills that are needed so that they can function on their own independently. But write this down. This is what the leader provides at this stage. The leader provides development. The leader at this stage provides development to the apprentice. The development is the instruction. The development is the, the practice and the evaluation of the people. So in other words, they need a performance coach. And we talked about that earlier. They need a performance coach to provide the necessary learning opportunities and even the feedback that allows for praise, for progress, for redirection, and for uh, requirement. So this is where, at this stage, they want to put things into the right perspective as an apprentice. They want to put things into the right perspective so that they don't become uh, overly confident with successes. And they don't become discouraged when things don't go their way. They got to put things in the right perspective here because this is what's going to happen. You're going to, they're going to receive this information from you. They're going to get it to the point where now they, they're going to feel overly confident. But you got to remind them that, hey, there's a thorn on your side still. You're still in the progress of learning. You're still adapting to growing towards your goals, right? But at the same time, you got to help them not to be discouraged when things don't go their way. And sometimes in the stage of the apprentice, when we get discouraged, we revert back to the novice because we quit. We give up. This is a crucial stage, guys, because it is really at this stage where the information is still being learned. The information is still being di diagnosed and you're still, this is like, this is like when this happened to me when I first went to Bible college and I started to learn uh, theology and the study of God. And then, so I was getting all this information, all this information. And then I say, wow, I got to choose what I want to stand for. And I got to choose what, what doctrines and uh, this person is this, and this person is that, and they're a continuationist and cessationist. And the, uh, they, they believe in the 1000 reign or the rapture and all this. I gotta, I gotta hold to something. So you get into that stage of life where you're just flooded with information and become discouraged. But here's the one thing I want you to write down. Patience is the key aspect of love in action. Patience is the key aspect of love in action. What do I mean by that? That means that when you're dealing with people, you got to be patient. You're going to have to be patient with them at this stage. The same way pastors are, are, are patient with the flock at this stage because they're, they're growing and, and they're learning. We don't, we don't discourage them uh, at this, but we don't give them false hope. We give them redirection. We give them feedback. We evaluate their progress. And this is essential for leading people in this stage. And the quickest way that a leader can stop the learning process is to grow frustrated and impatient with the people. How many of you in the comments right now, you know 
you know leaders and you don't have to say their names please don't say their names in the comments but how many of you know leaders that become so frustrated and impatient with the people you could give a raising hand emoji you could say yes whatever but uh i see you yep right there you go yeah so it really you know that's the quickest way to stun the growth of an apprentice it's the quickest way to stun the growth when you become frustrated and impatient with the people. Now, doesn't mean that when you get frustrated, doesn't mean you can get frustrated and impatient. We all do. But here's the thing: don't let it um, engulf you to the point where your leadership becomes now ineffective, and your decision-making process is clouded, and you look at people differently. I got people on this call right now. I got people that literally just text me here. That I've been dealing with them for, for years at V1 and I'm still hanging on with them. I say, I say, I'm not letting go. I still believe in you. You may be going through hell and high water, but guess what? I'm here going through hell and high water with you because we're going to see when Peter walked out of the boat, it was an amazing thing. We're still on Peter, guys. So the leader's got to be able to rock with you. Got to be able to love you, be patient with you. There's a time during Peter's apprenticeship and his training when he got something right, but then it was followed by something that he got wrong. <laughs> See, this is the stage that we're talking about. Now I'm going to give you a visual. Now I'm going to give you a biblical illustration right here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 17. Now, I'll just read this for you, but you can put it for your references. Matthew 16, 13 to 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. He got it right. <laughs> he got it right. Peter, you got it right. You recognize when, you, when Jesus came to you and you said, follow me immediately. You're like, I'm following this guy because there's something about his character. There's something about his life that I want to replicate. And now he sees it. But wait, Peter, let's not get too excited now because just four verses later, Literally just four verses later, we see this in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, right? And suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he was to be killed. And on the third day, he raised. And Peter took him aside. So, here, so imagine this. Peter's giving a, Jesus is giving a sermon. Peter stops jesus in the midst of this sermon right jesus is telling his whole his whole history and peter's like wait a minute hold on he basically it's like somebody going up to the pulpit and and, and stopping the, the preacher from preaching that's what peter did and peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him saying far be it from you lord this shall never happen to you but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind. <laughs> you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So he got one thing right, followed by having another thing wrong. And what's interesting here is that Jesus is actually still teaching Peter in both occurrences. He's still, Jesus is still be, being the teacher. Jesus is being patient with him. Even when somebody rebukes you, 
Even when somebody disowns you, I'm talking to somebody here, even if somebody discredits you, even if somebody is saying you're not going to make it, even if someone is just bringing you down and, and saying that your vision lacks motivation, your vision lacks enthusiasm, Jesus still had the patience and the endurance to teach him in that moment. That's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing for a leader to do is to teach people that don't want to be taught. So the first instance, Jesus here, right, when he got it right, Jesus was teaching in the form of a praise for getting it right, right? Peter identified Jesus as the Messiah. So now Jesus praises Peter. The second instance, the teaching was delivered in a bold language that was used by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. So what this does is this highlights the seriousness of Peter's erroneous way of thinking. And actually, this was a disqualification. This was a disqualification. So when you're at this apprentice stage and, and you're there and, and, and to uh, not acknowledge, you acknowledge Jesus on one hand, but then on the, on, on the other hand, Jesus is saying, no, you are not my father. I, father, I, I go about my father's will. I'm going to follow my father's will. Who are you to tell me what I should not do and what should not happen? And this was a disqualification. But Peter learned through this process. Peter didn't, he just didn't, he was able to be teachable. And he learned through this process from the loving commitment of the leader. So here's the thing, as an apprentice, if you're in this stage, you got to demonstrate a sense of patience with people. Or maybe you're the apprentice at this stage. Here's the question. When you get rebuked and when you get uh, a leader that says, hey, you know what, maybe I don't see you know, uh, trying to give you some wise counsel at the moment. What do you do? Do you lash out? Do you rebuke the leader? Do you rebuke the teacher? Or do you learn from your instance, from what, 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 what transpired there? Do you learn? Do you grow from it so that you can move on to the next stage? Or do you harbor resentment for the leader? Can't tell you how many times that happens in church circles where because you couldn't receive correction. Now you look at the leader in a certain way. So let's go to the needs of a journeyman now. The needs of a journeyman. In this level, uh, it's easy to assume that here that people uh, really have developed enough of their skill set to perform the task. But the misconception is that they actually become more periodically cautious. Uh, they end up losing confidence at this level. And they may even lose some joy in this level. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that, what that actually means here. But in the journeyman stage, People feel like they're at a level enough that I don't have to be cautious anymore, right? But at the same time, they could also lose confidence and their joy. So what does the leader provide here? Write this down. The leader here provides mentoring. The leader here provides mentoring. So this is where assignments and encouragement becomes pivotal okay so without this what ends up happening is that the journeymen become disillusioned critics <laughs> they become disillusioned critics right uh who poison the attitudes of the people around them i know i'm speaking some things right now so why Okay, for example, this is, this is who you have at the journeyman stage, a Christian, maybe they've been on the dream team for a long time, maybe they, they started in the beginning of V1 Church, they know everything, 
They know all the people. They know everything. And you could tell that they walk with their nose to the ceiling. And they know everybody. They know the systems. They know the processes. But here's the thing. They have no influence. They have no character. So where do they base their influence on? Their gift. That's it. And what did I say in the beginning? You don't base your influence or your character on your gift. You base your influence and your character on Christ, and that's it. So the people at this journeyman, they become disillusioned. They think everybody else is wrong, <laughs> and I'm right. Everybody else got it wrong, but I got it right. Why? Because they've lost confidence in themselves and they're just in performance mode and they're just performing at a rate and that's all they're doing. They're not stopping and they're not proclaiming on the way. All they see is the end game. But they don't take the detour to say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to help someone in need. Or I'm going to stop and I'm going to disciple someone or I'm going to love people or whatever the case is. They're delusioned. And what ends up happening is those kinds of people end up poisoning the attitudes of the people that are around them. They become a cancer in your teams. And you know, and you know what we do with cancer? We root it out. Now, there's maybe some revelation for some of you here. This may be like, oh, Pastor Eddie, that would never be me. But let me tell you something, it happens to everyone. And it's this disillusioned phase, and Peter went through this. So Peter here, he demonstrated a journeyman's character. Well, we're going to look at, look at it right now. He demonstrated a journeyman's character when he walked on water. So let me, now let me give you the illustration. Now let, let me give you the perspective right now. Matthew chapter 14, you can write this for your notes, Matthew 14, 26 to 30. You guys doing okay? You hanging in there? Now we're getting good now. We're getting into the uh, the meat and potatoes right now. So Matthew 14, 26 to 30. Wow, Chrissy said I needed to hear this. Thank you, Chrissy. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out. I just think that's funny. I just want to stop there. I just think that's one of the most, every time I read that scripture, I just, I just think it's hilarious. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, what? Take heart, it is I. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, so you can tell there's some skepticism, <laughs> even in this stage, right? There's some skeptical Christians out there. They're going to say, well, do I really believe what the pastor is, 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 is teaching? Do I really believe that? Do I really want, you know, do I really believe this is, you know, becoming all things that we created for? Do I really believe this? This is what Peter is dealing with. This is the dilemma. This is the battlefield that's happening in his mind. And Peter and. Uh, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me now to come out to you in the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. So here's the thing we need to observe, some things, some key notes that we need to understand in this text, in this narrative. He was able to perform the task. See, sometimes when we read the scripture, we, 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 overlook, we overlook the fact that Peter operated in faith. Peter actually walked on water, right? Uh, but the focus becomes more on Peter's cry for help than him actually walking on water. But remember, he was the only one to do this aside from Jesus. Peter was the only one. There was no other disciples that did this. Peter is doing things that are mimicking the leader. No other disciples are doing that. So once he took his eyes off of Jesus is when he went 
Now catch this. When he takes his eyes off of Jesus, this is when he went from performing to perplexity. He went from performing at a high capacity of faith to now there are things that are happening and I'm perplexed at the situation and I don't know what's going on, Jesus. I've lost faith. So how did Jesus respond to this? How, how should a leader respond when someone on your team loses faith? First, what does he do? He acts immediately. Jesus acts immediately. There's that word again, right? He didn't allow for Peter. Now, here's the thing to sink. Peter didn't sink in the water. And think about his mistake. Peter's mistake. Instead, Jesus let him know that he was there to support him. And how does Jesus do this? Jesus uses personal touch. Personally touching is of the primary need of support. What is the personal touch? What have we been talking about for a month now, going into a month? The hands. The hands of a leader. The personal touch aspect. Verse 31, Jesus says, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? It was a reminder that a leader is always there to support you even when you're sinking. You know, one last thing before we continue and we talk a little bit, a little bit about the next stage is that all this took place outside the boat. <laughs> This all still took place outside of the boat. So Jesus, picture it, is wrapping his arms around Peter, not allowing him to sink, just holding him. And you know what he's doing? Jesus is holding him in such a way, supporting him in such a way, and he's walking G Peter back to the boat like that. Come on. What an amazing illustration of what a leader should look like. A leader should be there to support you when you're sinking, when you're stepping out in faith, and when you're going into that calling area. But guess what? If you falter in your faith, you have to be able to be there to pick up and support them and get them back on track and get them back in the boat. That's powerful. But some of us as leaders, you know what we do? We don't do anything. We let them sink. Or some of us, we hold on just enough, but we don't redirect them. We don't evaluate them. We don't put them back on the path and say, okay, you let me show you what you did wrong, Peter. Let me show you why you doubted. Let me let, let, let me show you. That's what a journeyman is. Let me show you. Let me put you back on the right course of correction. And some of us, we're on this stage of life. We're on this, the journeyman's journey, but we've lost faith and we've doubted and we're sinking. But you got to reach out to your lifeline. Got to reach out to your lifeline. So, providing support to our team and to the people around us, the people that we love, the people that we do life with, your family, your, your husbands and your wives, Brian and Dorothy, you guys together, you're a team. I don't let my wife sink. That doesn't make me a good husband. I don't let my kids sink and I don't support them. That makes me a poor father. But I make sure that they're supported enough and I redirect them and I put them back on the boat. And at this stage, it's key in the de uh, developmental process. So that's the journeyman process. Now we're gonna go to the last stage and then we're gonna go into a Q&A. The needs of a master teacher. The needs of a master teacher. So at this stage is where we see that the skills are now, are now fully developed. And now the confidence and the motivational levels can now produce excellent results. 
So what does the leader provide here? Write this down. The leader here provides commissioning. The leader here provides commissioning. The leader gives affirmation to the people. The leader gives autonomy to the people that they lead. So wisdom and insight have now been poured into the disciples. They know it now, right? It, they know enough in the three years now that it's sustainable and that now they can actually carry it on their own to the next generation of leaders. So the disciples' training is now complete, right? They're going from uh, a Padawan to a, a young Jedi. <laughs> For my Star Wars references. There you go. I got some, some Star Wars fans here. So the disciples' training is now complete, but there were but there's a final set of questions that had to be given. There's a final exam that Jesus had to give them to certify them to lead others. So I want to give you that. And this is going to be a little lengthy, but I want to read this to you. John, you take this down for your reference, but John chapter 21, verse 15 to 19. John 21, verse 15 to 19. Here's, here's the final exam. You want to be a master teacher? You want to get to that level of excellence? You want to get to that level of autonomy? You want to get to that level of affirmation? This is your final exam right here. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend to my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your what? Your hands. <laughs> you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Again, follow me. So this not only refers to, no, this refers to how Peter would die by crucifixion. And if you know, if you know anything about the way that Peter died, uh, he died upside down on, on a cross. And it is said that at that moment when he was about to be crucified, that he said at that moment, don't crucify me like my Lord. I'm not worthy. Turn me upside down. This was the final test for Peter. This is the final test for everyone here tonight, every believer, everyone that's listening to the sound of my voice, to take up your cross. That's the final test. Peter made this his commission. Peter made this his commission. We see this in Acts 2, 36 to 41. I'm going to read this for you. He says, uh, Acts 2, 36 to 41, let all the house of Israel... Therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord. Now, remember, Jesus is resurrected, gone at this point. Now, this is Peter now proclaiming. He made him both Lord and Christ, that Jesus whom you crucified, in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do now? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. I read that whole thing to you because Peter, Peter passed his final exam at the cross. He passed his test. Peter, through the mentorship of Jesus, he is moved from coal to commission. And he demonstrates the ability to be a master teacher in the way of a carpenter. So, sending out someone to act on your behalf is the highest form of trust. I want to repeat that. Sending out someone to act on your behalf is the highest form of trust. You have to place so much trust to know that that person is going to carry the values. Remember, we talked about values. Is going to carry all of that into the next generation. Some of us, we're holding on to that trust and we're not letting go. Some of us, we're not multiplying ourselves and we need to be. You know, it's funny, um, without revealing too much, this week, I had to give up a lot specifically for uh, in certain things in my life. And I had to entrust it to people that I believe can carry this vision. I, in my mind, I thought, okay, well, you know what? Next semester, I'm going to do something totally, totally different. And the Holy Spirit checks me in my heart and says, no, this is not your vision to carry. I had to let it go. This has is, this is just happened this week. <laughs> and I had to let that go. And it was something I was passionate about. It was, it's where my gifting is. And God, now you're going to tell me, give it to the next person? Yes. And that's what a great leader does. A great leader is able to give it away. And a great leader is able to pick up their cross. So, one last thing I want to talk about, and then is we had to know the difference between delegating and abdicating. There's, there's two, there's a difference. Dedic uh, delegating and abdicating, okay? A leader who abdicates really turns their back on their trained people, right? And they are only involved when the bad things happen. But a leader who delegates stays in the informational loop. And they're always willing to help out when they're called to. So which one was Jesus? Jesus delegated. Do not be a leader that abdicates, that says, well, these people, they're trained, they're good, they're master teachers, and then you just let them go. And you're only involved during the hardest times of their life. Instead, delegate. Because someone who delegates is saying, I'm going to let you thrive, I'm going to let you grow, but at the same time, I'm just a phone call away. At the same time, I'm staying in the informational loop. I'm listening to you. I'm here for you when you call me. And Jesus delegated when he gave his disciples the Great Commission. All right, last thing really quickly. This is going to be rapid, and then we're going to go right into a Q&A. Um, because these four stages, what these four stages do is that they form a leader-follower partnership. So all these stages that we talked about, there was a leader-follow partnership. And this depends on mutual commitment. But to be effective, there's five things that have to take place. And then I'm going to leave you with these five things, and then we're going to pray it out and then take a Q&A. So five things must take place in order for the leader 
and the follower and the partnership in all these stages of life to have mutual commitment to each other. Does it just have it happen automatically? Oh, well, you're a pastor. I'm going to follow you. No, it doesn't work like that. Oh, well, you're successful. I'm not following your successes. I want to follow your character. The first one is this. We need to understand the learning stages and the followers' needs at, at each stage. So the first one is we need to understand right each of the learning stages and the followers' needs at each stage. So don't just give them master teacher information when they're still an apprentice. Don't just give them right some of some of us where because we 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 are fearful that someone's going to take our place. We don't want them to become master teachers, so we give them novice information. The second one is this. Agree on goals and objectives for the follower. You have to agree on the goals and the objectives for the follower. Where is the person going? Where do they see themselves in five years? Where do they see themselves in 10 years? What is the specific task that is there? You have to agree together on these goals and the objectives for the followers. Here's the third one. Identify together the followers learning stage for each goal. Identify together the followers learning stage for each goal. Because once you hit, once you hit a certain threshold, you need to elevate them. If they've hit that, that novice stage already, they've gotten all the information already, you need to bring them up to the apprentice, right? So you need to identify it together. Okay, I'm at this stage right now. I'm on this stage right now. Here's the third one. You need to determine together what the follower needs at each stage. Determine together what the follower needs at each stage for each goal and how the leader will provide it. Determine together what the follower needs at each stage for each goal and how the leader is going to provide it. And here's the last one. Five is be aware when the follower is shifting to a new learning stage. I said this before. Be aware when the follower is shifting to a new learning stage and what that means to their leader follower relationship. So be aware when the follower is shifting to a new learning stage. Don't keep them at that same stage. Don't limit their growth. Allow them to blossom. Allow them to grow. Allow them to make mistakes. Allow them to do these things. And what that means, but you always have a support system, right? But what that means is to their leader-follower relationship. So let's pray, and then we're going to have a Q&A at the end. Father, thank you so much. We've learned so much, oh God, in this stage of life. We've learned to go from the novice to the apprentice, to the journeyman, to the master teacher, God. But Lord, I pray that with each stage comes humility. I pray with each stage comes clarity of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that with each stage we get a vision of who you are closer to you. Because each stage should bring us closer to the glory of God. Each stage should bring us closer to the presence of Almighty God. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that even in, in the work and the way of the carpenter, as we are moving and navigating our lives in the way of the carpenter, from call to commission, just as Peter was, God, we see ourselves in the lives of Peter that we made mistakes, we've rebuked people, we've hurt people, we've failed in our leadership. But at the same time, Peter demonstrated 
the authority and the commissioning that you gave him, that you give us today, each and every one that is here today. You've called us each by name and you've commissioned us for a destiny to go and seek the lost and to make disciples because it's bigger than us. So God, today we learn the work and the way of the carpenter so that we can craft and we can build together and we can grow together into the image of Almighty God in our lives with our families, with the teams that we lead, with the people that we have conversations with over the phone. And I thank you, God, that you are that support system for us, that when we are sinking and we're outside of the boat, that you are there to pick us up and to bring us back into safety, to bring us back into the peace and to the assurance of who you are. There's no greater love than someone that is willing to lay down their life for another. So as we take up our cross, as we bear it, God, we bear it for you. And we do this the way of the carpenter. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>